the date informs us it is the second day of March, which is also a day to recognize the mental wellness of our community members who are in their teens. World Teen Mental Wellness Day is intended to raise awareness of resources for those coming of age in a time when so much is uncertain and stressful. This is Charlottesville Community Engagement, which seeks to allay stress that comes from not knowing about what's happening in local and regional government. I'm Sean Tubbs, hopeful that one day we'll figure it all out. On today's program, new names are under consideration for Burnley Moran and Johnson Elementary Schools in Charlottesville. Liz Cheney will be a professor of practice at the UVA Center of Politics, and the Albemarle Board of Supervisors votes unanimously to approve 525 units on Old Ivy Road. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance wants wildlife and nature photographers to enter their second annual photography contest. They want high-resolution photos related to the Rivanna watershed, and the winning entries will be displayed at the 2023 Rivanna Riverfest on May 20th. The two categories are 16 and under and those over the age of 17. You can send in two entries and the work may be used to supplement Rivanna Conservation Alliance publications. For more information, visit rivannariver.org. The Charlottesville School Board will be presented tonight with two names for two more elementary schools. A name review committee is recommending that Burnley Moran become Blue Mountain Elementary and that Johnson Elementary become Cherry Avenue Elementary. Here's a section from a press release that was sent out this morning. In the case of Burnley Moran and Johnson, the three namesakes of these schools, Carrie Burnley, Sarepta Moran, and James G. Johnson, all served Charlottesville's racially segregated white schools as teacher, principal, or superintendents. The intent of the Naming of Facilities Committee is to look at all school names to see if they meet the school division's current values. Former Venable Elementary is now Trailblazers Elementary, and former Clark Elementary is now Summit Elementary. A community survey for this latest name change went out in mid-January and received 396 submissions. 61% of survey respondents supported changing the name of Burnley Moran. The other replacement name is Rivanna, which received more votes than Blue Mountain. 50% supported changing the name of Johnson, which has the replacement choices of Cherry Avenue, Forest Hills, or Landmark. 34 people attended a community forum on January 26th. One person pointed out that Burnley and Moran had both been female principals at a time when leadership positions were predominantly male. There's a lot more on this particular exercise on the committee's website. Go take a look. The school board is expected to take a vote on April 13th. A spokeswoman for the school system said the committee is aware that there is a brewery in Nelson County with the same name as Blue Mountain. Blue Mountain also owns South Street Brewery in downtown Charlottesville. Meanwhile, if you're ever interested to review data about how the schools are actually doing, that information is on the website of the Department of Education under School Quality. 
The former vice chair of the U.S. House Select Committee on the January 6th insurrection will soon have a local connection. The Center for Politics at the University of Virginia has hired former Representative Liz Cheney to serve as a professor of practice for a one-year appointment. In a statement, Cheney said she's delighted to be joining the UVA Center for Politics and said that preserving our constitutional republic is the most important work of our time. She said that our nation's young people will play a crucial role in this effort. Cheney represented Wyoming from 2017 to 2023, before losing a Republican primary last year. She graduated from McLean High School in Northern Virginia, has a Bachelor of Arts degree from Colorado College, and has a law degree from the Chicago Law School. In the position, she will be a guest lecturer and participate in university and community events. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement. If you are cleaning out your garage, basement, or garden shed as spring approaches, the Piedmont Master Gardeners will gladly take any yard and garden equipment you no longer need. PMG is now accepting donations of new and used tools, hoses, decorative items, outdoor furniture, virtually anything used to create, maintain, and enjoy a garden. These green elephants will be offered for sale to the public during PMG's spring plant sale. Donated items may be dropped off at 402 Albemarle Square between 10 a.m. and noon on Tuesdays and Saturdays through the end of April. PMG is not able to accept plastic pots or opened chemicals. To arrange a pickup or for more information, contact the Piedmont Master Gardeners at greenelephant at piedmontmastergardeners.org. As for that sale, mark your calendar for Saturday, May 6th at Albemarle Square Shopping Center. One big segment makes up most of this show. Albemarle supervisors spent over five hours yesterday on a public hearing for 525 units to be constructed off of Old Ivy Road. Some parts of the 35-acre property had already been rezoned to the higher-intensity categories of R10 and R15, but some of the property was zoned for single-family residential. Much of the property is designated as urban density residential in the comprehensive plan. Here is County Planner Cameron Langeal. That is the highest density residential future land use classification that we have in any of the county's master plans. It basically allows for any residential dwelling unit type to be developed at densities between 6.01 and 34 units per acre. Neighbors include the privately owned Huntington Village and University Village, the latter of which has the ability to build up to 204 new townhouse units, according to Langeal. Graystar is planning for a maximum of 525 units in a range of unit types, and they have offered to designate 15% of the units as affordable under the county's policies. If they did develop 525 units, we'd be getting 79 affordable housing units. The county's housing policy manager said those units would help the county meet 17% of its affordability goal for this year. Transportation access would be onto Old Ivy Road. A secondary access for emergency vehicle access would need to be included, and there are several options. One of them would connect to land owned by University Village 
and that would require their permission. The project would add a great deal of vehicular traffic to an already congested road that lacks bike and pedestrian infrastructure. There is also a proffer from a 1985 rezoning that gives the county the ability to prohibit future development. Here is Kevin McDermott, Albemarle's interim planning director. 1985 rezoning was approved with a proffer that limited the density to R1 until Old Ivy Road is, and this is the quote, improved to the satisfaction of the Board of Supervisors of Albemarle County. Uh, There was not a lot of other detail provided in that proffer. McDermott said curb and gutter has been provided on most of the road, but the underpass under the railroad track remains a single lane passage with no way for cyclists and pedestrians to get through without walking in the road. Most vehicles owned by Charlottesville Area Transit also would not fit, but some owned by Jaunt and the University Transit Service would. Graystar has proffered to build a shared-use path along its frontage and to pay to extend that across property it does not own if that landowner agrees to the right-of-way. If not, they'll pay $500,000 to the county for other projects. They've also agreed to make a cash proffer to contribute to improvements off-site with the amount depending on the cost of whatever transportation projects come up. VDOT has been engaged in a study to determine transportation improvements that address some of the significant issues at both ends of Old Ivy Road Corridor. We have been looking at this area for a while. VDOT has been trying to identify improvements. That pipeline study will be completed next year and will likely inform future applications for transportation funding, such as SmartScale. McDermott said staff is confident enough that the improvements will be made to recommend approval of the rezoning. He said negotiations have taken place with adjacent property owners, and in response to a question from Supervisor Jim Andrews, Langeal declined to answer if the county has been negotiating directly with UVA. Later on in the meeting, McDermott did address the question. So as a state agency, uh, the um, the university is not subject to any of our zoning regulations. And so they, they don't need to uh, come to us with, if they want to develop any of their properties or anything like that. There is a 1986 agreement in place, but that's a digression for another edition of this newsletter. If you are a podcast listener, you are hearing me say that I can point to several places where the spirit of that agreement has been broken. But that's for another time. Back to this one. The land would yield between 32 and 49 units under the existing zoning. Valerie Long of the law firm Williams Mullen represented Graystar before the Board of Supervisors. She listed a string of what she said were benefits. There's a large amount of value, $1.25 million in um, cash proffers for transportation improvements. There's also uh, commitments proffered for construction of transportation improvements valued at approximately $1.17 million, plus about $830,000 worth of sewer infrastructure upgrades. They've already paid for $72,000 of that. Long said the Rivanna Trail would get a permanent easement and added the project is consistent with the comprehensive plan strategy of providing units in the urban area. Obviously, it increases housing supply in a neighborhood where there has been very little housing at all approved recently, much less anywhere near this price point. Long said Graystar would be willing to come back to the table and ask for more units 
if they would be allowed under whatever incentives package is worked out to encourage development of more below-market units. Long argued enough transportation improvements have been made since 1985, and the terms of that 1985 proffer have been met. There's been traffic signals that stalled at either end, construction of Leonard Sandridge Drive, many turn lanes and deceleration lanes were added. Over two dozen people spoke in person at the public hearing. Several residents of University Village were present to speak out against the rezoning for various reasons. Two people claimed that the Timmins Group used out-of-date information in the trip generation report and undercounted the number of vehicles. That was the sentiment of a retired civil engineer named David Metcalf. 525 residential units at this location is out of context for Old Ivy Road, and that's my professional assessment. Sally Thomas, a former member of the Board of Supervisors who now lives at University Village, said the road was never intended to support an urban setting. She said the Planning Commission recognized the 1985 proffer, gave supervisors the right to control its future. I know when I was on the board, I dreaded that I'd make a board decision that later people would say, who in the world made this decision? What a mess they made. Minion Warman Tucker pointed out the overall context of the area. The University of Virginia Foundation has plans to redevelop Ivy Gardens to increase density. The residences will increase from 400 units to 710 units. So combined, if you use the same numbers, and those are the Graystar numbers, you'll have over 3 million cars per year, trips per year that you're adding to already compromised infrastructure. Tucker also pointed out that Ivy Road will become much more congested as the University of Virginia continues to build out the Emmett-Ivy Corridor with the Karsh Institute of Democracy, the School of Data Science, a new hotel and convention center, and many more buildings that have not yet been officially announced. Attorney Donna Deloria represented Filthy Beast LLC and Father Goose LLC. Those are the names of the current property owner. My clients are paying taxes based on R15 assessments and have been doing so for years without imposing any additional residential burden on services. Meanwhile, Old Abbey Road, Ivy Road, Leonard Sandridge Road, North Grounds, UVA Athletics, and other businesses and destinations have changed and developed around them. My clients feel that it's time for this property to enter the development pipeline. Ivo Romanesco of Farmington said he is a believer in Albemarle's growth management policy and said if projects like this one are not approved, there will be increased pressure to expand the development area. Albemarle grows about 1% annually. We can predict, in theory, there will be more than 500 new households looking for rentals. Romanesco said many of those people will be working and shopping inside of the growth area, and that putting people inside of the area is consistent with the policy that has been in place in Albemarle for 43 years. So they're going to be, going to be on the same roads whether the product is built in this location or not. Comments were also taken virtually, including one on that 1985 proffer. Here is Kathleen Jump. The proffer of 1985 creates a higher bar for you. And really a question that you have to wrestle with tonight is what has been improved on Old Ivy Road that would lift this restrictive cap? Tonight you're being asked to make this important planning decision with no solution for two of the major concerns. After the public hearing, Long had some chance to rebut the concerns and repeated her argument that the conditions of the 1985 proffer have been met and that county planning staff agrees. 
She said the land has been designated for development since the 1970s, and the only reason it has not been developed is because the property had been bought by VDOT for the now-defunct Western Bypass. The younger future generation of our community, my children, your children, your grandchildren, my grandchildren, they need a place to live here also. Next, supervisors deliberated. Supervisor Ned Galloway took issue with the 1985 proffer. It's too subjective. It's too, uh, it should have been defined. Uh, I couldn't fathom doing that to a future board. Galloway said many apartments have been approved on Rio Road, and many of those were done before transportation studies had taken place. He was the lone vote against a development called Rio Point, approved by the supervisors in December of 2021. Um, the Rio Road corridor studies was the seed out of that decision to get that whole corridor planned and studied. And now we have from the city boundary all the way to 29, a plan of concepts of how to improve that whole corridor and safety was at the forefront. Galloway said many projects in the development area have come and are coming in at a density level lower than what could be there. He said the time is coming for a conversation about what will happen when all of the land for large apartment complexes has been used up. Supervisor Diantha McKeel said she understood the traffic concerns, but said there were many positives with the project. Affordable housing units, um, along with housing for what we call sometimes the missing middle workforce housing, um, That's a positive. Housing for those folks who actually work in our community and can cut down on commuting time. McKeel said the proposal will be a catalyst for transportation solutions, especially as the University of Virginia invests hundreds of millions of dollars into the Emmett-Ivy corridor. Public infrastructure almost always follows private development. That's just the way it works. Supervisor B. Lepisto Kirtley said she supported the project and hoped there could be a way to persuade the University of Virginia to address the conditions at the underpass. The project is within Supervisor Jim Andrews' Samuel Miller District. He said he wanted to support it because of the need for housing close to the University of Virginia, but he had a lot of questions. The traffic situation is appalling and uh, needs to be fixed. And we don't really have the tools to fix that without a lot of cooperation, BDOT, and perhaps from UVA and, and, and the neighbors. Supervisor Ann Malik said this had been a brain-exploding exercise because she initially thought she would vote to deny the rezoning due to the railroad underpass. But she said she changed her mind in part due to its location near water and sewer infrastructure. So I think there would be many benefits. There will certainly be uh, drawbacks for some, which I hope will be short-lived, and I hope that we will be able to get solutions, even more solutions than we know about today. Supervisor Chair Donna Price noted the time around the vote was 12.15 a.m. and said the item could not be deferred due to the budget season and a series of work sessions. Price said she would support the project, and the vote to approve was unanimous. Stay tuned for coverage of everything else that will happen after here on Charlottesville Community Engagement.
Another addition in the books, though not literally, to website. But did you know that many of the articles here also end up on Information Charlottesville? Infoseville.com is a website I created to make it easier for me to find what I've written about. And in 504 installments so far of this newsletter, it's quite a lot. You can go back and listen to all sorts of articles, and they're usually linked in the newsletter. Thank you to all of the paid subscribers who are helping me keep this going and planning to get to 1,800 on. Both this newsletter and infoseville.com are products of Town Crier Productions, and this is around the time of the month that I will be invoicing Ting for their sponsorship. If you sign up for a paid subscription on Substack, Ting will match your initial contribution. And if you sign up for Ting at a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you will get free installation, second month for free, $75 gift card to the downtown mall, and that's pretty cool. Thank you to Vraki for most of the music now, Fundamental Grang for whatever it is that he does, and thank you to PJ Sykes for originally doing the theme song you hear at the very beginning. Thank you, podcast listeners. You're the best. Go today, team. I'm Sean Tubbs. Back again soon.